DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, presents The Discernment of Spirits, Setting the Captives Free, with Father Timothy Gallagher. Father Gallagher was ordained in 1979 as a member of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. He obtained his doctorate from the Gregorian University, and he has dedicated many years to an extensive ministry of retreats, spiritual direction, and teaching about the spiritual life. Father Gallagher is the author of seven books published by the Crossroad Publishing Company on the spiritual teaching of St. Ignatius of Loyola and the life of Venerable Bruno Lanteri, founder of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. Father Gallagher is featured on the EWTN series, Living the Discerning Life, the spiritual teachings of St. Ignatius of Loyola. The Discernment of Spirits, Setting the Captives Free, with Father Timothy Gallagher. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. The Eleventh Rule Let one who is consoled seek to humble himself and lower himself as much as he can, thinking of how little he is capable in the time of desolation without such grace or consolation. On the contrary, let one who is in desolation think that he can do much with God's sufficient grace to resist all his enemies, taking strength in his Creator and Lord. Welcome back, Father Gallagher. Thanks again, Chris. We have now reached Rule 11 in the 14 different rules that comprise the Ignatian exercises. This particular one, we're exploring what consolation is, but we're also maintaining a vision on desolation as well, to kind of, in an attempt to try to stay balanced. Balance is just the right word for Rule 11. Because what Ignatius does in this rule, after a series of rules for a person in time of desolation, and then a rule for a person in time of consolation, in this rule Ignatius brings it all together and speaks to us about the person both who may be in a time of consolation and then another time when that same person may be in desolation and describes to us how to respond to both in such a way that, as I would say it, he paints the portrait of the mature person of discernment. Consolation, desolation are things that can occur long range, or it can even occur within the, the course of one day. Sure. So it's, you can't really say to, to ourselves or to someone else, consolation, well, I've been in consolation for a week and a half, it might be coming to a close, or it, you just, you do not know, do you? No, I'm thinking of, Monsignor Ronald Knox when he entered the Catholic Church. And he describes how in those first months after his entry into the church, it was a time of unbroken spiritual consolation. And I'm sure as I say that, that many of us, as we listen, will recognize there have been times like that in our lives where consolation has gone on, sometimes even at very great length. And there have been times, possibly, in our lives when desolation has already, has also gone on at great length. Now that's what need not happen. That's the great teaching of these rules, that God did not call us to captivity, to spiritual desolation. So that if we use the big three, as you call them, Chris, we are aware, understand, and take action, in this case to reject, those lengthy experiences of spiritual desolation will change. But yes, these can happen either in longer periods of time, or sometimes the change can happen a number of times in the course of a day even during an hour of prayer. There can be a time of desolation, then peace returns. So this is just the ordinary experience uh, of the spiritual life. We cannot entirely predict it. All of it is within God's providence. 
What we do know for sure is that there is a good shepherd who walks with us. And even if we walk in a dark valley, we fear no evil because you are with me with your rod and your staff. We do know the God who always faithfully walks with us and in whose grace we can confidently trust whether to pour out love in time of spiritual consolation or to give us all the grace that we need to get safely through in time of spiritual desolation. Now that's actually exactly what Ignatius is getting at in Rule 14. So first he has a counsel for a person who is in a time of spiritual consolation and says, let the person who is in a time of spiritual consolation, he says, seek to humble himself and lower himself as much as he can. Now, why? When God's love is being poured into my heart and prayer is happy and a sense of God's love fills my being, why should I try especially to be humble in such times? Well, we hear Our Lady say, my soul magnifies the Lord. I rejoice in God my Savior. It's a perfect application, Chris. I suppose I never thought of it till now until you say it, but I, I suppose we could speak of that as a time of real spiritual consolation. Her heart is filled with joy in God. Joy, consolation in God, spiritual. So with great reverence, because we're on very holy ground there, I think we can we can pretty confidently say that this is an experience of rich, abundant, and beautiful spiritual consolation. And right in that, Mary is, is conscious of her own low estate, as she says it, that God has looked upon the humble condition, the low estate of his handmaid, and done great things in her. And so she rejoices. It's, it's that perfect spiritual intuition. I was going to say of the saints, but Mary sort of stands out even among the saints, doesn't she, in some very special way. Well, I suppose we can look at it either from the perspective of a witness to it, as Mary's witness in the Magnificat uh, certainly is, or we could look at it from the other side of its absence, and from its absence see why Ignatius invites us to try to be humble in time of consolation. And here I'm thinking of St. Peter on Holy Thursday evening, when Jesus says to the disciples that this night you will all fall away. And Peter says to the Lord, even if they all fall away, I will not fall away. And he's obviously very sincere in this. He genuinely loves the Lord. The last thing he would ever want is to deny the Lord or fall away from the Lord in time of the Lord's need. But Jesus says to him, before the cock crows three times, Peter, you'll deny me three times. All the more, Peter says, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Well, we know the sequel, uh, that Peter's strength was not what he imagined that it would be. And in the time of trial, later that very evening, he does deny the Lord three times. And the cock crows, and you have that powerful moment when Jesus looks at Peter, his tears begin to fall. That will eventually lead to that healing when Jesus, with the threefold question, will heal Peter's heart. Do you love me? That's all. Allows him to express his love and Peter is healed. But let's let's just wonder, for the sake of understanding what St. Ignatius is teaching, what if that Holy Thursday evening, Peter, instead of insisting on his own strength, counting on his own strength, had said to the Lord when the Lord said, tonight you will all fall away, Lord, you know that that's the last thing I would ever want to do. You know that I love you. But I know I'm weak, and I know I could fail in the time of trial. Lord, help me, be with me. Help me to get safely through whatever trial lies ahead, safely at your side, without denying you, without abandoning you. 
Would Peter have had to go through the pain of the denial and the bitter tears and all the sorrow that came into his life? Well, this is the first thing that Ignatius is saying in this rules, rule 11. Let the one who is in spiritual consolation, let that person seek to remain humble and not get kind of naively and carelessly high. All the problems are over. I can accomplish anything because clearly that sets us up for kind of a fall, spiritually speaking. So that's the first thing. Now, Ignatius, who is so practical in these rules, not only asks us to seek to remain humble in time of consolation, but supplies also the means that will help us become humble in consolation. And he says, let the one who is consoled seek to humble himself and so on as much as he can. Thinking of how little he is capable in the time of desolation when he does not have that grace, that consolation. Now, one way I could say it would be this. If you and I think back to even very recent times of spiritual desolation, and we think back to how we responded in those times, did we shorten our prayer? Did we let some things go spiritually? Did we just lose some energy for some spiritual practice or maybe even let it go? If we remember those times of even recent spiritual desolation and how hard it was for us in those times, the memory of that will help us to remain humble now in time of consolation because we will know that the grace that we're experiencing and the delight and the joy is God's gift and certainly not our accomplishment. Then we become, in that beautiful biblical term, humble. As we said before, that God gives grace to the humble. All right, so this is the first half of this, that the person in consolation seek to remain humble so that we avoid becoming naively, carelessly high, and then set ourselves like Peter up for a certain kind of a fall and the pain that comes with it. God loves us too much to want to expose us to that. Now, what about the person in desolation? Here Ignatius says, let the person who is in desolation also think about something, also try to do something. And in this case, the invitation is to consider that I can do a lot with God's grace, which Ignatius here calls God's sufficient grace. It's all that I'll need. It's sufficient for the trial. That I can do much with God's grace, which I don't feel, but I know is there with me. I don't feel because I'm in the desolation, but I know with faith is with me. With that grace, I can do much to resist all my enemies, Ignatius says, which is an all is a powerful thing. There is no spiritual enemy that I cannot resist and overcome because God's grace is with me sufficiently in the measure in which I need it to get safely through the desolation. And as I do this kind of thinking and calling this truth to mind, I'm taking in new strength for the time of the desolation in which I find myself. So that if in consolation I am not becoming naively high, neither in desolation am I becoming despairingly low. But I remain humble in consolation and trusting in desolation and in this way solidly move forward toward the Lord. And that's why I describe this rule as Ignatius painting the portrait of the mature person of discernment. It's humble in consolation, trusting in desolation. I have to wonder the fact that in that great image of the divine mercy that we are reminded to Jesus, I trust in you, that if in today's world we experience more desolation in some ways than consolation given where we're at in the world. Well, I would guess, Chris, that that's one of the reasons why that particular way of relating to Jesus, his mercy, means so much and is so widespread and so popular, if you can use that word, 
um, today because there is so much of an experience today in so many hearts of desolation, of discouragement. And there are difficult things, obviously, that are happening around us in the world today. And they seem to be all the more present in some ways as time goes by. That being the case, there is all the more need to turn to a, a Jesus in whom we trust. And I think that devotion expresses a real need of the human heart always, but in some very special sense today as well. So that that part of what Ignatius is, is teaching in these rules, I think, applies in ways that make it all the more important today. You know, as I've mentioned in other conversations as we've been talking about these rules, I've been traveling around really North America um, for a good many years now doing this teaching. And I have seen over and over and over again how people love this teaching of St. Ignatius, these simple rules on discernment of spirits, precisely because Ignatius' primary focus in them is to assist us with struggles with spiritual desolation, because we all go through it. And in some ways, I think today we can tend even more toward it as we watch what's happening in the world around us and some of the struggles even in the church we so love, which can touch our hearts and weigh upon our hearts and to know and to discover that there's a path to freedom from captivity to that desolation, that it is possible to live in this world and to live with joy in the church of today and to live with hope and freshness and energy and growth is a beautiful thing. That's why I think this teaching is becoming all the more timely. We've had it in the church for 500 years since Ignatius wrote it in the 16th century, and it has always blessed men and women for generations. I think it applies in its own special way in our time today. It is uh, quite compelling when you really enter into this particular role, the desire of Ignatius to help us to live this balance. There is no time out from God's providence. You know, you have a day when the electricity goes off for a few hours. And you say, well, that was an empty time, but at least I was able to get something done in these other hours. It's never that, never true in the spiritual life. In that image, when the electricity goes off, that's the time of spiritual desolation, and I'm not feeling consolation. That time of desolation is very much within God's providence. God does not himself give us spiritual desolation. It's always a work of the enemy, as we've said. But God permits it because of a growth and a fruit that he wants us to give, wants to give us through that. So that it's very important for us to uh, to see that as you, exactly as you're saying, Chris, that God is always at work in our lives in one way through spiritual consolation, but in a different way, but very truly also in time of spiritual desolation. I find that very reassuring because it is something that we enter into in this relationship with God. He is ultimately the, the great teacher. He continues to be the master and we his disciples. Well, God is, as you say, Chris, is always working, isn't he? Mm -hmm. Always. The question is how aware, exactly as you say, we are of that. What comes to my mind as we've been saying this is something that um, Father Jean-Pierre de Cossade says in his classic book, Abandonment to Divine Providence, that God is always working at every moment and in every place. But because we can only see that with the eyes of faith, he says most of the time it passes us by. We're always caught by surprise. We only see it later, which is often true. And then he says, if we could lift the veil 
And if we watched with vigilant attention, that's the be aware that's been so central to everything mm-hmm. we've said about discernment. If we watched with vigilant attention, God would endlessly reveal himself to us. And we should see and rejoice in his active presence in all that befalls us. And that's the discerning life. At every moment we should exclaim, it is the Lord. Which is a quotation from John chapter 21 when the disciples are in the boat on that morning a week after the resurrection and the one they only know as a stranger is standing on the shore and calls out to them to put the net on the other side lower the net on the other side they do it and in the catch of fish john recognizes it is the lord it's the moment when suddenly everything explodes into spiritual meaning when suddenly the spiritual sense, the spiritual truth of what's happening comes alive in our hearts and we see it. It is the Lord. That's not just a stranger. This is the Lord who is right with us, risen and alive and with us, right in our workplace as we go about the activity of fishermen and going about the activity of fishing. We thought we were alone. We thought that our labor was fruitless. And suddenly we see it, that the Lord is right here and with us and guiding us. Well, Jean-Pierre de Cossade says that's what will happen in our spiritual life if we watch with vigilant attention, if we live with awareness, which is the invitation of the discerning life, it's the first of those steps that we're calling the big three uh, in these conversations. Maybe what we could do is take a look at this through the experience of uh, the woman I'm going to call Jane in this experience. And this is a brief summary of what happened when Jane makes a retreat. She's making the spiritual exercises actually of St. Ignatius, which are, which is the setting, you know, in which Ignatius writes these rules. She goes off to a, a retreat house and she spends several days in prayer. She's praying with scripture several times a day. And she meets once a day with her retreat director who gives her the opportunity to describe what's happening as she prays. And then as the retreat director is able to help her understand it more deeply, see where the Lord is leading, and then suggest scripture for the next day in her retreat. Well, Jane gets to the retreat house on the first day of this retreat, and the day goes well. It's a time of peace. Uh, She has a real sense that she's going to meet Christ in this retreat. And we should say that Jane, from the description, uh, it it really is uh, a person who loves the Lord, and she's faithful to prayer, and she's active in living her service of the Lord. And on this first day, comes to the retreat house with a very felt sense of um, knowing that she's going to meet the Lord in some way in these days of prayer. And she prays with the text that the retreat director gives her. This is from Isaiah chapter 55. All you who thirst, come to the water. In joy you shall depart, in peace you shall be brought back. And there's a kind of confidence in her heart. I think we could say in the terms of discernment that she experiences a kind of gentle and blessed spiritual consolation on this day of the retreat. The next day she continues her prayer and she's now praying with Matthew 11, verse 28, Come to me all you who labor and are heavily burdened, I will refresh you. And as she prays with this, she feels a kind of an inner cleansing and refreshment as though she's she's kind of being bathed spiritually some way, in a way that fills her heart with a sense of wonder and of joy. And the whole day is filled with this sense. She feels the closeness, the nearness of Jesus, as she continues to pray with the other scripture passages um, throughout the hours of the day. Well, obviously, in terms of St. Ignatius and discernment, this is a day of very rich, very blessed, and wonderful spiritual consolation. And now we get to the next day, and Jane 
uh, continues to pray. She's now praying with a text from the Canticle of Canticles, and she experiences what she describes as a sweet joy at the thought of the Lord's love for her. Again, obviously that spiritual consolation is continuing. Now, Jane makes a decision at this point. Now she decides that because the prayer is so joy-filled and so filled with the sense of the Lord's love and there's such consolation in it, she wants to pray even more. So instead of praying for an hour each time with scripture she, she's been doing, she decides she's going to pray for an hour and a half each time in the day that she does this. Now that means that instead of praying for four hours a day, which is already significant, it's now going to become, what is it, six and a half hours that, that she's praying with this each day. She actually winds up spending seven hours in prayer this day, doesn't tell the director that she's made this change, and kind of her sense of excitement grows, and that night she can't even sleep. Well, it's not hard for us to see that this can't go on, can it? Mm-hmm. Um, what has happened is exactly what Ignatius is talking about in the first half of Rule 11. Jane, in a time of spiritual consolation, and we'll say this gently because we've all been where Jane is at times in our lives, Jane is not really seeking to remain humble as much as she can, is she, in a time of consolation, thinking of how little she can do in time of desolation. But Jane, delighting in, and as she should delight in, in a beautiful gift of consolation, has become somewhat naively and carelessly high at this point. And she's stretching her energies. She's kind of in that situation of Peter on Holy Thursday evening when he thinks in his goodwill and closeness to the Lord that he can do more than he actually can do when the trial comes. What if Jane, at this point in her retreat, were to remember the first half of Rule 11? Let the person who is in consolation as she is just serenely, gently strive to remain humble. Well, then the coming kind of crash, I guess we can call it, mm-hmm. if she can't sleep, if she's stretching her energies this way, it's not hard for us to predict that something is going to get undone here. She could avoid that. Well, let's let's go ahead with her experience. In fact, that's what happens the next day of her retreat. She gets up with a bad headache. Understandably, she feels exhausted. She's under strain. Of course, she stretched her, pushed her energies the day before. She didn't sleep that night. And now she can't pray well. The joy is gone from the retreat. She's feeling tired. She's sad. She's moody. Well, some desolation is setting in now uh, at this point. That evening when she meets with the director, she finally does tell the director now um, about what she did, which is wonderful because now you know the director is going to bring a sense of balance uh, into this, which again makes the point that we're going to get to a little later in the rules, that for St. Ignatius, discernment is never done in isolation, but it's always, again, it's not good for man to be alone. It's always best to be able to share in some way the spiritual journey of discernment, but we'll say more about that when we get to Rule 13. Well, the director wisely suggests that she cut back on the prayer. You know, just let go all the extra time you've been adding, rest more. She does that, but the next day as she continues in this retreat, the kind of the sense of heaviness, the gloom is still there. There's not much enthusiasm, but she perseveres. And now we get to the sixth of these. This is an eight-day retreat that she's making. We get to the sixth day as she tries to pray in the morning of this day. Now she gets very disturbed. And now, with the heaviness of heart and the weariness and the trouble and the rest, she begins to doubt that consolation in the early days of the retreat. Maybe none of this was even genuine, really. Maybe it was just my overactive imagination. Uh, who, who am I now? Now, in this heaviness of heart and uh, loss of spiritual energy, who am I to think that the Lord would ever give me that kind of sweetness? And she starts to get discouraged with the sense that she really isn't meant for a deep life of prayer. Um, 
all of this desire for God that you thought you had, it's all really just an illusion. It's just your own imagination. And the whole day is passed with a sense of confusion and discouragement. Now, obviously, what we're describing at this point in her retreat is spiritual desolation. And all the classic signs of it are there. You know, it claims power to interpret our spiritual past. Those early days in the retreat, you were just um, kind of fooling yourself. It was just your imagination. It really wasn't God's consolation. Uh, it claims power over the future. You're not really meant for a deep life of prayer. What if Jane is not aware, does not understand, and does not reject what's going to happen in her life of prayer? This is all classic stuff of desolation we've been seeing throughout these conversations. Right. Now we get to, to day seven, and Jane speaks with her director about all of this. And this wonderful director says, no, 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 Jane. It was authentic. Those were beautiful days of consolation. With the help of the director, Jane is again able to trust the truth of the spiritual experience. Be aware, understand. When Jane was not able to understand on her own, but was getting confused, with the help of the director, she can get there. Which is why, as I've said, it, it's so helpful for us not to be alone in the life of discernment. And to trust, the director says, to trust in the Lord that he's going to bring good even from this desolation, which is wonderful. This is a wonderful director who's really quoting Rule 9. You know, the reasons why a God who loves Jane, loves us, allows us to go through times of desolation. And then invites Jane to pray with the text in John 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. And Jane does this. She rests more. She goes out for some walks. Things are beginning to settle down. And now we come to the final eighth day of the retreat. And she goes back to the scripture with which she began in Isaiah 55. Come to the water. Enjoy, you shall depart. And now there's a kind of calm that's come over her. And she now knows the truth of how loved she is by God. She also knows now, the director helped her to see this, but she knows it now kind of in, in her own heart, that the consolations of the earlier days in the retreat were real that that truly was God's love. And now something amore has come into her heart and into her life because of what she's been through in the desolation. She now has a clearer sense of herself, knows that she needs to be attentive to these fluctuations of imagination and emotion so that she doesn't so easily another time kind of get set up for this kind of fall through, a kind of um, spiritual naivete in a certain sense. Mm -hmm. And she prays for this. She prays for light and for strength. She prays to be more balanced emotionally and ends the retreat now with a kind of gratitude in her heart and with much hope for what lies ahead. A new kind of wisdom and serenity has come into her life since she has gone through this experience. So there you see both halves of the rule. Jane uh, did get kind of naive in the time of consolation and she did get kind of despairing in the time of desolation. And these are the two things that Ignatius would spare us. Remain humble and in time of consolation so that we don't get naive and set up for a fall. And in desolation, remain trusting. God's grace is sufficient with us. We can overcome all the spiritual enemies and struggles so that we, re we remain trusting in time of desolation. So that, as I've said, that, that's really where all of the rules thus far want to lead us. If we can see that, and if we have a sense that we can take steps toward living that way in consolation and in desolation, then we're well on our way toward beginning the journey of living the discerning life. That journey is absolutely worth living. Mm. As we are all called to be saints in the making. And this is the making. This is the ordinary stuff of daily spiritual experience. Thank you, Father Gallagher. Thank you. 
You've been listening to The Discernment of Spirits, Setting the Captives Free with Father Timothy Gallagher. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our mission. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for The Discernment of Spirits, Setting the Captives Free with Father Timothy Gallagher.